Welcome to the Renew Life Church podcast. No matter what situation we find ourselves facing, we know that God wants to speak clearly to us. So wherever you're listening from today, we want to thank you for being here. Grab a cup of coffee and join us as we tune in to our Sunday conversation. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to church. I don't know whether you're in person here with us at the Cole Theater or online. Either way, we welcome you. Uh, Let me just be the first to say I would give anything if we were doing this live. If I were preaching this live, I would much rather have people in the room actually laughing at my jokes. I miss that. I I miss the affirmation that I get from people laughing at my jokes. It's part of me that's still not hidden in Christ, I guess. But uh, trust me, I want to be, I want this to be live more than any of you, I think. But uh, I'll just be honest with you. We have a value, such a strong value for staying together in this time. Uh, I have a greater value for us being together as a church than us as a church getting what we want, which is a live preacher. I had this thought actually just before the camera started rolling. If you think about it, how many of the churches would have missed out on all of all of the revelation and wisdom that Paul had 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 in him because all he did after a while was send a letter. He traveled, he planted churches. Can you imagine the Galatians, the Ephesians, the church at Corinth, if they said, you know, we just don't like that Paul Paul ever gives us anymore as a letter. How much would they have lost because they didn't like the delivery package of the message? And so I just encourage you, bear with us in this season. Stay with us in this season. We want to stay together as a church. We're all moving forward at the same time, hearing the same message. And so uh, just remember, that's what we're doing this for. We're doing this for the whole church body. Some of us are still at home. Some of you are still at home. Uh, it's still maybe not wisdom for you to get out or you have a conviction. And we're, we're not here to tell you what your conviction or wisdom should be in that. We're just here to serve you, to feed you, to encourage you uh, in this season. So again, welcome to church. We're so glad you're here. Uh, I'm going to jump right in it. I feel like I have several things to, to, to cover. I don't know how much of it I'll get into today, uh, but I, I definitely want to, to, to jump right in. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Revelations chapter 6. Uh, one of my friends used to give me a hard time, Craig Benz, uh, about how I hardly ever read Revelations. And I was like always afraid of Revelations. And so he was like, how can you be afraid of Revelations? It's amazing. And I, Craig's right. Uh, Revelations is amazing. So uh, I've actually spent some time in that. And the Lord's been talking to me about Revelations and some things in Revelations. Uh, Revelations begins with John uh, and I, it's interesting, I think I always thought that this John was the John the Beloved, the Apostle John. Uh, there are some theologians more recently that have come out that said it's another John. It's the elder John from the church at Patmos and, uh, and, and the island of Patmos. And so uh, I won't get into that, but this, his name is John. At least we know that part. And uh, this person, John, had an encounter with the Lord. The Lord Jesus himself showed up, and in fact, some of you may have heard the term slain in the spirit, and I think I always wondered, like, well, how many, is that actually a biblical thing to be slain in the spirit? Do we see that in scripture? And I remember the time when, it, when the, 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 the guards came to arrest Jesus in the garden, and they fell down in his presence. There, there was that one, but this is, I think, maybe even a more accurate uh, uh, depiction of what happens when the power of God overwhelms. John says this as he recounts what happened when Jesus encountered him. It says he fell at his feet like he was dead. I mean, just went out under the power of God. And so if you've ever had that encounter, you actually have a Bible verse for for all your friends and say, that's not scripture. It's like, well, at least you got one verse. But that's what happens. John, Jesus comes. There's a Jesus visitation in his life. It's so powerful. It it, It just wrecks him 
But, but Jesus begins to, to, to speak to John, and it's this very important prophetic message. And it's interesting because he's, he's giving John this prophetic word, and it's a, it's, a, it's a prophetic word to the seven churches in Asia. But this isn't just a prophetic word to the seven churches of Asia. This is actually what I call like a 2D prophetic word. It's two-dimensional. And I want to read this in Revelations chapter 1, verse 19. It says, write down what you have seen. This is Jesus talking to John. He says, write down what you have seen, both the things that are happening now and the things that will happen. So he, he's basically telling John that this prophetic dream is twofold. It pertains to some things happening now, and it pertains to some things that will happen. I proposed that this message was to the actual seven churches in Asia, but also to the churches of today. I believe that we can, if we're, if we're attuned to the Spirit of God, that we can actually read through the, the, the re- revelations here. We can hear what God was saying to the different churches in Asia, and it may be possible that the Lord, the Lord would reveal some things that maybe He wants to say to us as well. This is things pertaining to now and to things to come. That's what Jesus told John about these, about these dreams. And I don't want to go into all of it, really, but I do want to tell you just really quick. Uh, I had a, in, in my Bible, in my online Bible and multiple other translations, uh, when Jesus addressed each of the seven churches, there was a subheading in my, in my Bible. And I just want to read the subheadings as I read the different churches that got a letter sent to them. Uh, there was a church, the church at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. But he had a specific word to each of these churches. In fact, the subheading in my Bible to Ephesus said the loveless church. To Smyrna, it said the persecuted church. To Pergamos, it said the compromising church. Thyatira, the corrupt church. Sardis was the dead church. Philadelphia was the faithful church. And Laodicea was the lukewarm church. And I think it's interesting of all of them, only one of them got a good subtitle. I don't know what happened there. When Jesus actually said, the, the, if you go back and read this, and I actually encourage you to do that, go back and read, he actually did encourage all the different churches and most of the churches in some way, shape, or form. But my point in this, and the point I want to make today, is that it is the nature of God to have specific words for specific churches. God, when, when God plants you in a church, if let's just say God's planted you in this church, the word of God for your life is in this church. He sent you to this church. If it's another church, if you're watching online, if you're a visitor, whatever, but it, this is incredibly important that you get this. The Bible actually says God sets his, 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 his children into family. In other words, he places them where they're supposed to go. He sets them into the spiritual family, or you could say he sets them into the church that they're supposed to be in. What church you go to matters. What church you go to matters. The fact that you go to the church that God tells you to go to, it matters. And that doesn't mean there's only one in every city. There are many in every city. I've got so many friends in this city that are pastors of other churches. And it's so clear as a bell when we get together and have lunch and do events that God has called them to the city of Midland. God has called them to serve this city. And there are people that are called to come alongside them and serve. But it is incredibly important that you understand and know God has called you to a place. God has called you to a church. And it's in that place, it's in that church that God wants to speak to you. Now, why is this so important? Well, I'll tell you one of the reasons that this is really important is because sometimes, the times we like, as we read through these subtitles, sometimes God's going to give you a word that's so encouraging, that's so uplifting, that's so positive, 
it's not going to, it's not even going to make you question whether this is your church or not. I mean, think about if you were the church of Philadelphia and as soon as he starts his message to the church of Philadelphia, it's like, man, you're such a faithful church. It's like, amen. I, we are so faithful. This is so amazing. I love being called faithful. I'm so glad I'm at that church. But can you just for a minute, put yourself in the shoes of the Laodiceans where it's like, hey man, um, you guys are lukewarm. In fact, I kind of want to spit you out of my mouth. You're not hot or cold. You're right in the middle, and you're kind of like throw up to me. If I'm the Laodiceans, and what's interesting, and the best I can understand this is Jesus tells John, write all these, write all these things I show you in a book and send it to the seven churches. It's very possible that each church got to see what God or Jesus said to all the other churches. If he puts this together in a book and he sends this book to all the different churches, it's actually possible that the Laodiceans, when they're sitting there listening to all that God says, and man, he just ripped the Ephesus church. He just tore them up in Pergamos. But he got to, he got to Philadelphia, and it's the, it's, the, it's the faithful church. He must have saved the best for last. And you're sitting there, you're a Laodicean. You're like, man, I wonder what he's going to say to us. Throw up. That's what he said to the Laodiceans. I'm spitting you out of my mouth. Now, if, now I want you to get this. If you don't know where you're called, if you don't know the church that you're supposed to be a part of, you could potentially hear that word and say, you know what? Hard word, tough word, difficult word, a word that quite honestly, I don't want to hear. I don't want to put up with. I think I'm going to go. I think I want what the Philadelphians got. I think I want that word for my life. Jesus knows the word that you need. Jesus knows what every single one of these churches needs to hear. And it's why it's so important that you have to know where has God called you? Where are you supposed to be? Where has God planted you? Because there will come a time where God will call you faithful. And there may come a time when God calls you throw up. When he says, hey, and let me just say this. He's not saying these things to you to shame you. He's saying these things to pressure you into repentance to pressure you back into the place that he created you to be, to get you back on track where you're not just experiencing the kingdom of heaven once you get to heaven, but you can experience the kingdom of heaven while you're still on this earth. We all know that that's what we're looking for. He told us to pray this way, that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are times in our life when our life doesn't look like heaven. We're doing things that are not heavenly. We're talking in ways that are not heavenly. We're not living in ways that are heavenly. And we're living below the standard that God has called us to live. And we have to get our, our hearts to the place, our minds to the place where we, we, we decide where God has called us and we plant ourselves in the place that God has called us. That way, when hard things get said, when God needs to bring a strong word to our church, that we're ready to hear it. I think we would all admit and I'll admit, this has been the most difficult season I think I've ever been in as a, as a human, but not just a church leader. I'm talking about just as a person. This season that we're dealing with as believers, as Christians, when, when, with, pen, with a, the, the COVID pa- pandemic, it, we live in the oil and gas industry that was, that's, that's tanked in a lot of ways. Then we've got the racial tension that's just destroying our t- country. We've never been more divided politically, it seems, at least not in my lifetime. There's just, it's like hard thing after hard thing after hard thing. Now we got to wear masks. The governor's asked us to wear masks, which I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't like masks, but I don't like pride more than I don't like masks. <laughs> 
I embrace humility more than I embrace the fact that I, I don't like wearing a mask. And so even as, we, as we're here today, we're asking everyone to wear a mask, not because I believe in masks necessarily, although the, the, the experts would say, most experts would agree, it helps. We're here to help. We're here to serve. I'll be honest with you. I just want to stay humble in this season. This is a season of humility for me. This is not a season where I'm trying to buck the system. That's, that's for me. That's what I believe the prophets have said to me. That's what I believe the prophets have said to this church. And I think it's important that if you know that, is this your church? Is this where God has called you? Because then may come, because there may come a message that you don't necessarily agree with, even if it has to do with current events, which is why you have to know, where has God called me? What has God called me to? I, I just want to say this. This is, I want to tell you a little bit where some of this come, came from. Um, obviously, we have, we're, we're meeting in person today in the Cold Theater. We're also having online. This message is being played online. Obviously, it's pre-recorded, but um, one of the things that's happened in this in this pandemic is churches. If all the all the churches in the country, when the when the when the government shut it down, well, I shouldn't say all. Most churches in the country that abided by that those those rules, when we all shut down, we had to put we had to make our sermons. We had to go public. We had to go outside even the areas that God had called us to influence with our messages. I can now go and hear what any pastor is saying to their church. Now, in some ways, that's really good. In some ways, that's amazing that uh, I, can get, I can hear good teaching. I can hear what Stephen Furtick is saying or Bill Johnson is saying or Robert Morris is saying or Chris Balton is saying or, or Judah Smith is saying or, or, or all these different people. Uh, Robbie Dawkins is saying, Mario Murillo is saying. We can, we can gather in a lot of teaching. But I had the Lord speak to me and he said, if you're not careful, what you'll start doing as interpreting the word I gave to Philadelphia as the word for you in Laodicea. He said, it's in my DNA to, stop, to talk specific to specific regions and to specific churches. Can I just tell you this? What's going on in California is not what's going on in Texas. What's going on in New York is not what's going on in Texas. I'll even go so far as to say what's going on in Austin's is not what's going on in Midland. What's going on in Lubbock is not what's going on in Midland. He began to talk to me about how it's so important that we discern what, what is, not just what is God saying to Renew Life Church, but what is God saying to Renew Life Church Midland? What is he saying to this city? I'll be honest with you, I used to um, uh, almost make fun of, not almost, I used to make fun of when I was in a, in a position of such spiritual arrogance. And I would hear these traveling preachers and they would come to town and they would say um, that they could fly into a city and when they landed in that city, that they could discern the spirit that was on that city. And I remember thinking, you didn't discern no spirit on no city coming to the airport. The people in the airport came from all over the country. Anyway, how did you discern some spirit as soon as your plane landed? I just, such arrogance, by the way. And, but I got to be honest with you. Um, since, as, you, as most of you know, Lee and I have moved to Lubbock. And, and God is expanding our influence, and there's even other cities that are on our heart, and we're starting to try to embrace this, this idea of what is it called to lead in different places. And uh, all of a sudden, since we, we, we've been there about five weeks now, and as we started traveling back and forth, even when we were just going, getting our house ready and all those things, when we started traveling back and forth, I started noticing a shift in my spirit. I, I started noticing I was picking up things when I would leave Midland, and when I would come back, and as I would move towards Lubbock, I could feel something. When I would move towards Midland, I could feel something. And one of the things that I've picked up in this season that I did not 
be, to be quite honest with you, I did not pick up when I was, when I was living here is this stronghold of pride in this city. There's a stronghold of pride in this city. Um, there's a scripture, I think it's First Timothy, that says, charge them that are rich in this world not to become high-minded. He basically says, anywhere where there's great wealth, there's going to be a propensity to great pride. There's going to be a, a, a stumbling block, if you will, to start, and that scripture goes on to say, tell them don't trust in uncertain riches, which means if we live in an area, we all know, especially when things are booming, this is one of the wealthiest cities in America. It's one of the most booming cities in America. There is great wealth in this city. But the scripture tells us where there's great wealth, there's an opportunity to be pride. And I started sensing that in this city. I started sensing that there's a, there is a stronghold in this city, in the area of pride. And I thought Cody Sykes, campus pastor here, thought he said something absolutely incredible the other day when we were talking through this and talking about the city and, and, and what, we're, what was going on. And he said, this isn't just a city where a lot of people have money. This is a city where a lot of money has people. I'll say that again because I think it's fire. And if you're going to tweet it, Cody Sykes said it, not me. This is not just a city where a lot of people have money. This is a city where a lot of money has people. We have to embrace those things. We have to embrace that, okay, this, there might actually be a stronghold in this city. And let me just pause right here and say, we don't embrace this as our identity. We don't have to embrace this as our identity. That's the beauty of the new, the new covenant in Jesus. That's the beauty of the message of grace. That's the beauty of Jesus is we are not defined by a stronghold. We are not defined by our actions. We are not defined by our sin. We are defined by Jesus and Jesus alone. I am the righteousness. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He, he seated us in heavenly places. At like, just like Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, we also in our spirit are at the right hand of a Father. What does that mean? We are in a position of favor. We are in a position of yes. We are in a position of blessing. That is the posture of our identity. That is who we are. But it doesn't change the fact that, that who we are can get we can, we can uh, I'll, I'll say it another way, we can forfeit an incredible eternity because the Bible says when we do good works here on earth, God's laying up treasures for us in heaven. Doesn't mean, it doesn't mean we're not going to go to heaven if we don't do good works. <laughs> we go to heaven because we believe in Jesus. But after I believe in Jesus, it's almost like the most incredible retirement plan ever. I get a season, a, the Bible calls it a, a vapor and a mist of time on this planet to not just accept salvation, but to accept the call of, my, uh, call of God on my life to bring heaven to earth, to allow, if there's strongholds in my life, to get them out, get, get rid of them. If there's character issues in my life, get them out. Why? And live a life worthy of the calling, Scripture says. Because when I do good works on heaven, it's like the greatest retirement plan ever. I'm preparing what I get to live in for the rest of eternity. That's a heavy word. My works don't determine my salvation, but they might determine my mansion. <laughs> it actually says that in Scripture. And so I think it's important that we just understand that there may be things that because of where we live, because of the people we are, the city we are, and what we have, there, if there is great wealth, there's a potential for there to be great pride. 
And we have to resist that. We have to live a life where we say, I, I can't get stuck in pride. I can't, can't get stuck and I know it all. I can't get stuck where I'm trusting in certain riches. I can't get stuck thinking I'm somebody because I have this much money or I have this business or, or whatever. No, we have to on a regular basis humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. I believe that if, God, if, if, if Midland was one of the seven churches, that's what he would say to us. He'd say, Midland, I, I see some incredible things there. But I'm, ask, I'm charging you, if you're rich, don't become high-minded and don't trust in uncertain riches lest you forfeit the assignment on your life in this city. The oil and gas industry did not make you rich. Your God made you rich. Remember Abraham, Melchizedek? Abram comes back to Melchizedek after this battle and has been all the other kings. He meets in the Valley of the Kings and all the other kings come to kind of pamper him and tell him, oh, Abram. Because remember, he was retrieving some of their stuff. They'd already got their butts whooped. But he's retrieving some of their stuff and they're coming to get some of their stuff and tell Abram how amazing he is. And it's the, it's the priest of the Most High God, Melchizedek, who tells him, Abram, blessed are you because your God has delivered your enemies into your hand. And what is he saying? All of a sudden, you have all this great wealth. Don't forget where you got it. Don't forget how you got into this place. Midland, Texas, don't forget where your, where your treasure comes from. Don't forget where your prosperity comes from. It's not because of your intellect. It's not because of your skill. It's not because of that intuition that you have that knew where to drill or didn't know where to drill or what. No, you are where you are by the grace of God. And let me just tell you, when you know where your help comes from, when you know where your provision comes from, it's easy. This is, this is one of the things that you say, well, okay, if, if I've got pride in this area and I'm trusting in uncertain riches, how do I start breaking this off my life? I'll tell you a really easy one. The first ever mention of this was in this story I'm telling you between Abram and Melchizedek. It says, and Abram gave unto Melchizedek before the law. There was no law. It says he gave unto him a tenth of all. You know one thing that'll break pride off your life? Tithing. Tithing breaks pride off of your life. If you have a problem with tithing, it's because you think it's all yours. You have a hard time giving somebody else the money you earned. You earned it? Or was it by the grace of God? Was it by the provision of God? When I bring a tithe, and and let me just say this. That's why it's so important you know where your church is supposed to be. Where's your church? If it's not here, don't give it to me. Don't give it to us. You wouldn't be giving it to me anyway. Don't, don't, if this isn't your church, don't send your tithe here. What's that storehouse for you? Where is that church? That's one of the ways that you say, you know what? I, I'm, that's not my money in the first place. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of that 10% as a sign that I didn't earn that in the first place. I didn't deserve that in the pl- first place. God has delivered wealth into my hands. We got to know, we, we got to know where we're called to be so that when those strong words, even like this, this is a strong word. This, this can be a strong word, telling people, oh, you want to break, uh, break pride off of your life, tithe. Uh, that's, a, that's a hard word. That's a difficult word for a lot of people, even right now in this season where you're like, well, you're telling me to tithe now when the oil, oil prices are down and I lost 60% of my business and I don't even have a job anymore. Maybe, maybe God wants to use the power of the tithe to do a miracle in your life. Because the Bible says that signs, wonders, and miracles are for the unbeliever. What if God wants to do a wonder in your life through tithing to make you a believer in his provision? Don't discount what God wants to do, a, maybe a strange thing in your life in this season. 
you know, in the, in the, of course, Revelation's in the New Testament, but in the Gospels, uh, there's, a, there's another story uh, where Jesus had a hard word. Jesus had to say some things that were hard in John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, it's an interesting thing because Jesus has just fed the 5,000 and he, uh, the disciples go get in the boat. After they fed the 5,000, they go get in the boat, and Jesus stayed back. They go in the boat. They get caught in the storm. Jesus comes to them in the storm. Uh, and so there's this incredible, there's lots of things happening, a miracle of feeding the 5,000. Then there's the him coming and calming the storm and uh, ends, up in, ends up in Capernaum, and he's teaching, and he's teaching some Jews in the synagogue. And one of the things that these Jews are asking him is to do a miracle. They're wanting him to do a miracle like uh, Moses did. So Moses gave our Moses gave our ancestors manna. And Jesus is like, I don't know, it's not, not so fast. Moses didn't. My father gave that manna. And um, so there's this, there's this kind of dialogue. And Jesus says, well, instead of giving you manna, how about I give you the bread of life? And he starts to teach them that he was the bread of life, that he was what they needed to live. And all of a sudden, they start kind of murmuring and complaining, like, wait a minute, like, you're, you're the bread of life. God sent you. You're not what are you trying to say you are? You're just Joseph's son. You're just, you're just that old carpenter boy we know. And, and so all of a sudden, the Jews start to realize, like, wait a minute, what are you trying to say here? And it, it's causing some dissension. Now, back up just a little bit. You need to know this. So when Jesus had fed the 5,000, they get up the next day and Jesus is gone. They're like, wait a minute, where'd he go? So they noticed that the disciples' boat was gone. And, and I can't remember exactly how they knew exactly where to go, but they followed him. And all these people that Jesus had just done a miracle, other disciples, not just the 12, but other disciples and people that the miracle had caused them to follow Jesus, they come too. So now you've got disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, believers in Jesus, and then these Jews that Jesus is trying to convince, hey, I, I'm the Messiah. I am the bread of life. I'm the one. So there, it's kind of a mixed crowd here at this, this church service. As he's teaching, all of a sudden, these Jews are not buying this. The Jewish people are like, wait a minute. You're trying to tell us that you're the son of God, that you're the bread of life, that no one gets to go to heaven unless they eat of you. And they start murmuring and complaining. And all of a sudden, Jesus just takes it to the next level. And he says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have eternal life. And I will cast you out. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, things just got weird here. Jesus is telling us to eat his flesh drink his blood. And, and all, all of a sudden, being a disciple wasn't as popular as it was yesterday. Yesterday, if you're a Jesus follower, you're following the dude that just multiplied the fish and the loaves. You're not, you were following the dude that just walked on the water, met the disciples in the storm. Less than 24 hours ago, being a Jesus follower was cool. Doing what the Word of God said was cool. All of a sudden, Jesus is telling people to eat his, eat his flesh and drink his blood and here's what happened. John chapter 6, verse 60. It says, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, Ooh, this is a hard saying. How are they ever going to understand this? All of a sudden, Jesus is introducing hard. He's saying something hard. And the disciples are in this moment where they're like, What are we going to do with this hard saying? What are we going to do with this hard situation? What are we going to do in this, this, difficult, this difficult moment here? Can I just say this? Be very careful about making big decisions when things are hard. It's one of the things I'm noticing right now. Be honest. Things are hard. Things are difficult. Just, first of all, if, if you're in Midland, Texas, the economy is not what we wished it was. Things are hard. Some of you still don't have jobs. Some of you have jobs making a lot less money. Things are hard. 
The church is not what it once was. It's different. All of a sudden, we can't meet. We can't gather. We're, we're singing through masks. There's, there's all this. It's hard. It's difficult. Things are getting hard. And what I'm noticing is when, when, when things get hard, I've noticed this for a while. When things get hard, people start realizing, you know what? If I'll change something, it'll get easier. If I'll make a change, maybe it'll get easier. Maybe it's like the start looking, uh, the, the grass is greener on the other side. Let me, be, let me just warn you here as your pastor, be careful about making big decisions when things are hard. Don't say we're getting a divorce on the back end of a fight. Be very careful about stuff like that. Don't say, you know what? I'm changing jobs. I'm getting a new job because you got in an argument with your boss at work. Because things, this account didn't work out the way you thought. Be very careful about making big decisions when things are hard. And can I just tell you, a lot of things are hard right now. A lot of things are hard right now. So there'll be a lot of temptation to start making decisions. Why? Because you're looking for peace. You're looking for easy. You're looking for relief. So you'll just start changing. I'll change this. If that doesn't produce peace, I'll find something else. I'll change this. I'll change my job. I'll change my city. I'll change my spouse. I'll change my house. I'll change my church. I'll, you know what? I never really liked Laodicea anyway. I'm going to Philadelphia. They're faithful there. Jesus loves them. Be careful about making big decisions and, and changing big things in your life when things get hard. That's right where these disciples were. They're in a moment where things are getting hard and you'll see what happens. Let's keep reading. Of course, Jesus, he doesn't back off this message. Whenever, even when his own disciples are like, oh, Jesus, this, how are they supposed to understand this? He didn't back off. He doubled down. But I want you to notice this in John 6, verse 66. It says, at this point, what point? This hard time. When Jesus started saying hard things, when things started getting hard, when it wasn't so popular to be a Jesus follower, when it wasn't so popular to say sex before marriage is wrong, when it wasn't so popular to say marriage is between a husband and a wife, a male and a female. All of a sudden, when it was, it was not so popular anymore to, to follow Jesus. It says this, at, at this point, many, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. I am concerned that in this season, many people, because things get hard, even in the church world, things are getting hard, that many people are deciding this is too hard this isn't easy. I'm going a different direction. I don't even usually see stuff like this and take it for what it's worth. But I want you just food for thought. <laughs> Again, this might be, I hope this isn't cause a mess. I want you to notice that this scripture says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. This is John 6, 6, 6. John 666. I was like, we talk about the end times, the mark of the beast, all this stuff. Could it be that in a time just like that, what we're going to see is many disciples turn away? Because maybe in that time, many hard things started happening and many disciples turned away. Food for thought. I'm not no prophet, but maybe I am today. On to 667. <laughs> then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, you going to go too? <laughs> that's, that's not my leadership style. I'm, I'll be honest with you. If I just lost almost everyone and I only got 12 left, I'm not going to try to run them off too. 
I mean, if, 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 if this church dwindles down to almost nothing, I'm not going to take the few that are faithful and be like, hey, won't y'all get out of here too? That's just not my style. I'm just not, I just don't think it's good for the church world. I'm like, and Jesus turns to the remaining 12. And he's like, you guys going too? And their response, I think, should be our response. And I think it's very, I think it also shows us something else that might help us stand these hard times. It says, Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. They stayed true to his word. Notice this. It's your words. It's your words that give us life. We believe and we know that you're the Holy One of God. I want to say something here because I, I picked this up praying through this. Notice that the one answered for all. It was one for all and all for one. And then Simon says this, to whom would we? We. Sounds to me like we had decided we are all going to do whatever we decide to do. That this season is not about me. This season's about we. Can I just tell you right now, maybe more than ever, your we matters. Who's your we? Who's the we you go to dinner with? Who's the we you've been going to church with? Who's the we you hang out with? Who's the we you call when things get in trouble? And does that we... Is that we full of faith? Are those we building you up? Are those we, are the, is that we, what is that we talking about? What's your we talking about? Who is that we talking about? I believe with all of my heart that this is important, that there was something about that little bitty word, we, that Simon said, Lord, where, where would we go? We're, 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 this one, this is, I don't remember if it's the Stooges or the Amigos or who said one for one, all and all for one. It's like Musketeers. Thanks, somebody, cameraman. It's actually Keith. Musketeers, all for one and one for all. They had decided that we're rolling together. We're rolling together. We're doing a video service. You're sitting in a, if you're at the cold theater, even if you're online, you're sitting on your couch or wherever you're watching this. If you're in the cold theater, you're not even watching me preach live. You're watching me preach a pre-recorded message. Why? Because we... Because we, I want to know what God wants to do for we. I want to talk to we. I want to talk to us. It's not about individuals and what an individual wants and what I want. and what this. It's not about that right now. Things are hard. When we start separating, when we get away from the we, all of a sudden we, we, we introduce other options. Like, you know what? Yesterday it was great following Jesus. Yesterday was amazing, was feeding 5,000, doing miracles. That was great. But right now, it's hard. I think I need to go somewhere else. I think I need to do something else. I think I need to decide that maybe this whole church thing, Christianity thing, this ain't for me. Who's your we? Um, Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And in this season, I know that that's one of the things that even me and my wife are doing even more so is we're actually getting really honest with each other and saying, man, in this hard season, what's this thing squeezing out of us? Is it squeezing out the fruits of the Spirit or is it squeezing out the flesh? And if, there's, if this pressure, if this hard thing is squeezing out flesh, if it's squeezing out ugly, if it's squeezing out me or me popping off on social media, and, that, if, and I'm just being honest with you, if it's, if it's squeezing something out I don't like, I want to know. And I want to submit that to my we and say, hey, You've been, you've been with me through thick and thin. We're staying together. Help me see, is there something I need to change? Is there something I need to grow in? So my wife and I are doing this with each other. It's like, 
help me. Even now, as we're called to influence in such a unique and different way, we're having to use social media more than I even like using social media and doing different things. It's like, hey, I, I typed this post. What do you think? How do you feel about this? Is this the fruits of the Spirit? Is this some, and, and I'll just be honest with you, sometimes, sometimes as leaders, as pastors, the thing we're called to do doesn't feel good. Doesn't feel good to a lot of people. Check, check social media. You'll see. Not everybody seems to agree. Uh, it can be hard. It can be difficult. But we're trying to hear what God is saying to we. Not somebody else. We, us here, Midland, Texas, Real Life Church, Midland. What's God saying to us? What's God saying to this church? Is, is, is the enemy coming and trying to scatter this church? Is, is the enemy coming and trying to, to steal sheep with wolves? Is this what we, we have a job, not just feed sheep, but to kill wolves? And you're really a popular pastor as long as you're feeding good food to sheep. Sometimes you get a little weird look when you kill a wolf. I'm just, I'm just telling you, this is the season that we're living in. When the church is confused, when the church in some ways has been weakened, the, the enemy is saying, I got to kill this thing. Because let me just tell you, this is prophetic. I have only shared this with a few people, but I, and I didn't plan on doing it, but I'm going I'm to do it now. This church is in the birth season of something new that is going to be incredible. And the enemy can't stand it. He's doing everything he can right now to kill this thing while it's a seed. Learned this years ago from one of my pastors. It's easier to kill a seed than it is to fight a harvest. If he can kill this thing while there's new things being birthed in our church, if he can kill it now, if he can divide us now, if he can conquer us now, it's a whole lot easier than once that harvest starts to produce and all of a, all of a sudden what God has placed in us starts to, that, that, that fruit tree starts to bring forth fruit. I think sometimes when I'm writing a message or, or planning a talk, whatever you want to call it, I ask myself, and I even did this today, like, what is my objective? Like, what am I trying to say? You know, sometimes us preachers, we can get off on rabbit trails. The next thing you know, we're just talking. But I, I wrote down the objectives. Before I wrote this message, I just wrote down the objectives. It's like, okay, Braden, be clear. What, what are you trying to say? And, I, and I'll just say this. It was twofold. Let's, let's acknowledge that there may be a stronghold of pride in this region and that we have, we potentially have been influenced by it. And let's embrace humility in every area of our life. Embrace humility. And the second thing is, let's make sure that in this hard season, we stay together. We stay together. We don't let hard things, hard sayings, hard seasons, hard decisions, let's don't let hard times cause us to separate Let's stay with our we. I think you'd, even right now, I think you need to think about, Lord, help me understand and identify my, my we. I had someone tell me the other day that they, they've noticed in this season that some relationships are starting to fall away and other new ones were starting to be added. Maybe that's the case for some of you. Ask yourself, what, and did I add the right ones? Am I adding people that are with me, that are for me, that are not being divisive, they're not being confusing, they're being full of faith, full of hope, full of love. The Bible says those are the greatest things, faith, hope, and love. Does your we give faith? Does your we give hope? Does your we give love? It's, it's humility and unity. Humility and unity. Let me, I titled this message, Following Jesus Isn't for Everybody. <laughs> we saw this right here in the scripture. Certain disciples, when things got hard, all of a sudden, they didn't follow Jesus any, anymore. They stopped following Jesus when it got hard. Following Jesus isn't for everybody. Following Jesus is for the humble and the ones who have a value 
for we. Thanks for tuning in today. You can stay connected with Renew Life Church by following us on Facebook or Instagram or by visiting our website at www.renewlifechurch.com. We love you and hope you feel encouraged from this message today.